Flyers Daily with Jason Mertidis. All right, here it is, a Monday edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertidis. Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays. That's what we bring to you. And on this episode, we're going to break down the forward group, at least the first half of the forward group, along with some NHL news, notes, and headlines, and the latest talking points also surrounding the Philadelphia Flyers. And joining us for this episode to break it all down once again from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, HockeyBuzz.com, and NHL.com, it is Bill Meltzer joining us. Bill, happy Father's Day. Oh, you too, Jason. Thank you. Um, it's Before we even get to kind of looking at the, the forwards, and we're going to break this into two episodes, and we'll have half that forward group in this one and then the other half on uh, Friday's episode. But before we get there, of course, uh, still a ton of reporting, Bill, and it seems like and I think Freed said this, Elliot Friedman or, or Darren Dreger, one of them said, it seems like the Flyers are in on everything. <laughs> it, this is kind of harkens back to a, a, a time of yesteryear where anytime there was a big name or, or big players available, they were in the mix. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the way the Flyers have to go about it. They have to have a lot of different irons in the fire, you know, and, um, I, you know, they, they have to basically – turn every stone here not just you know we, we keep bringing up the right side defense from the top pair but i mean there's there's other things too their chemistry you know issues just cutting the cutting the goals against in general uh you know just just changing things up a little bit not for the sake of not just for its own sake but to you know to to get better and um you know i don't there's not just one way of doing that i i think there's a lot of ways that you could possibly go about it so you know you, you have to do your due diligence in a lot of areas and i i mean i would be disappointed actually if the flyers were not said to be in the middle of a lot of different things going on and i mean i mean honestly you know they'll they'll narrow focus in based on uh you know what seems realistic to do but this this is what should be happening right now and then we'll see we'll see what direction it takes you know there's uh, there's always the the rumor du jour, and you have to you have to take all of it with a grain of salt, even when it's sourced. You know, things change quickly. Yeah, and I mean the other thing about this too, and I was thinking about this over the weekend. Um, you know, our preference, uh, the biggest need is a top pairing right side, right shot defenseman. But I was thinking about this scenario because this is a very unique off season in the sense that there was not a lot of movement, not a not a lot of. Uh, in quotes, resetting of the roster for GMs last offseason because of the unique nature of the, the unknown and the flat cap and the expansion draft looming. Well, that all kind of comes to a head here, and we're, we're expecting a lot more movement. W- would you be surprised if Chuck Fletcher, you know, if he, if he wasn't able to, to trade for Seth Jones because he wouldn't extend or sign Dougie Hamilton, but he would not only found another Matt Niskanen top pairing type partner, but really kind of went deeper and more aggressive and and bigger for lack of a better term with the forward group and a guy like jack eichel or somewhere along that line that would not surprise me at all um no not necessarily jack eichel but you know but making making moves up front too i mean you know i i don't think i don't think it's a, a one player situation obviously when they brought in niskin and that that was a big piece of the puzzle but it, it would also have to do with you know the team embracing a certain style of play um certain players stepping up who you know regressed this past year i mean there were, there were a whole lot of pieces that we, we dissected some of it and we're going to get into you know the forward group as a whole um the individually mm-hmm. rather as, as we move along here 
But I mean, I, I think that it would not surprise me if they they try to come in it from several different areas, you know, to find a to find a top pairing partner for Ivan Provorov, but also maybe even a second defenseman in the top six and a forward. I mean, if, if, if several new players came in and, you know, maybe a, maybe a name, you know, the guy who's been here for a while moves out. Uh, also, depending on obviously what happened in the expansion draft, no, it, it would not surprise me at all. I don't, I don't think they're just looking at us, you know, focusing on one player and they shouldn't be because you don't, you know, I mean, that, that player ends up going elsewhere or, you know, or how, how I mean, however, however it all plays out, you have to have a lot of contingencies in mind. So, you know, I think you have to think broadly in terms of a lot of different things could happen here. Yeah, you cannot be singular in focus in this situation at all. There's so many variables here. Uh, Bill, how important do you think it is? I mean, I don't, I don't want to say just to the fan base, but just in general for the organization, just for where they are right now. You know, we, we know where they were two years ago and, and the trajectory that we all thought they were on and then the big step back this year. But how important do you think it is this year to not only make the right move, but make a splashy move? Well, I mean, I, I think for fan base purposes, uh, I think there would be disappointment if there's not a splashy move. On the other hand, you know, sometimes it's the two little moves end up having more impact than the one big. I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I think that it would be nice to make the big splashy move. That may happen. Um you know, I like you hear the the Jack Eichel rumors out there. I mean, I wonder what the price tag would even be to do something like that. Yeah. You know, um, not even you know, not even some of the potential complications of it. Just just what are you what are you sending in return? Because there's, you know, I mean, we're actually actually today as we're recording this, it's the the anniversary of when you have the 1992 NHL draft when the Flyers acquired Eric Lindros, and you, I mean, the Flyers acquired a. a future hall of famer the all-time points leader a guy who won a heart trophy was a was a finalist for another one but yet quebec won the trade you know you you got uh you got you know he, he became essentially other than the injury issues what you're hoping you would get but but the was the price tag too much you could make that argument you can make that argument basically for anything there there there's a certain point at which the acquisition cost you know might outweigh what you're getting in return even if the player is everything you hope that he is so i think that um you just have to keep in mind that, you know, there have there have to be limits on any uh, on any potential player you might be able to bring in. And obviously, that was a special situation. I'm just saying that, you know, even in a special situation, there has to be a there have to be certain limits as to what you can afford to give up, how much hit you can take to your depth, how much, you know, how many draft picks you can move, how much cap space you can devote to yeah. you know, two, three players on a. Uh, you know, on a roster. So I think I think all of that comes into play when you hear some of those names that are out there. When you hear Jack Eichel's in particular, the value on this player, it's an interesting one, Bill. His numbers over his career, I mean, the, take his rookie year out of the equation. He's like 10 or 12 points over a point-per-game player. He's obviously played on a bad team. Um, but, you know, he does have the neck injury, which is a bit shrouded in mystery because he wants to apparently have a procedure uh, that the Sabres aren't comfortable with. There could be another motivating factor in why he wants that procedure, which is a ticket out of Buffalo. Uh, we can't discount that fact. But what kind of value does he present? Because uh, I know some people have thrown around the term generational with him. I do not. 
I'm very selective with that term. Um, to me, there's only been about five, six guys that I would say generational since 1980. And obviously Gretzky and Lemieux are, are two of them. And Crosby is another. McDavid is another. I guess Ovechkin would be. And um, Lindros is in that equation as well. But uh, to me, he's a, a, a star right now, could be a superstar. Uh, but there are some question marks. There are, you know. Um, obviously, he's a very gifted offensive hockey player. Um, you know, I, I don't put it. You never you're just put on one player when a you know when when a team struggles and he kind of picked as high as he was. I mean, I, there's just a whole lot of management question marks, a whole lot of whole lot of stuff going on in, in Buffalo. Um, I do have concerns as relates to the injury. You know how uh, it, it's the type of an injury that that could be career threatening if it's not handled the right way. Um, you don't want to get burned on that front. You know, um, I don't. I don't know Jack Eichel. I've never interviewed Jack Eichel. I've never dealt with him in any kind of a you know significant context. Um, you know, uh, just just from afar. Sometimes it seems that you know, I don't know. You question other maturity issues with the player, right? Yeah. Um, is he a is he a complete player at this point of his career? I mean, from watching it observationally, I mean, he's an excellent offensive player. Is he that complete kind of you know? I hate to use Crosby as a comparison because, as you said, Crosby is that generational talent. But, I mean, they're, you know, but is he a guy who's going to make a big impact even sometimes if he's not scoring? I don't think think he's there yet. Yeah. You know, is he a guy who's made guys around him better just by having played on his line? You know, I don't think he's there yet. Um, So, you know, I think think he's a step down from there. And that's also why, you know, is is he – is he a first line center? Absolutely, he's a first line center. Would he would he help the team, you know, in terms of star power and all the rest of that? Sure, but is the team as a whole better by what you know what it would take to acquire? I don't know. I don't I don't know the answer to those things, and uh, I know that if you guess wrong, you could be you know you could be digging out from that for a long, long, long time. If you if he's not everything that you hope he is, plus. There'd be an awful lot of pressure on him to be the guy who, you know, to be the guy. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I have I have a little I have some reservations about the no question. I mean, the acquisition cost would be very high. I think um, I think the Flyers could come up with a competitive offer to to maybe do that. But, you know, but when I look at what the team's needs are, um, while, you know, while a quality centerman, is something that it really any team could use a top of the lineup guy, um, you know that that could maybe situate John Katori in the second line. Kevin Hayes is a very highly paid but but in good matchup third line center, and then Scott Lawton is your fourth. Then you're very deep down the middle, and that that is a big part of the equation in this league. But I don't know. I mean, I, I to me to me my focus really is is on the defense side of it, shoring that up a little bit as a team putting out a better two-way team you know getting a little bit getting some combination because it's hard to accomplish all of them i like to see them be a little faster a little bigger a little grittier just in the mix you know not uh, not any one particular player because it's hard to find one guy who brings all of that and obviously they have to figure out the goaltending situation um you know if you if you bring in a jack eichel that you're completely changing the mix then you have to look again at what you know what you have and what you put around them and uh, I don't know that that, you know, 
that moves you closer to a Stanley Cup, at least in the short term, than uh, what they're what I think they're looking to do this offseason. But it certainly is intriguing to think about. Yeah, it's not often a player of, of that stature at that age under contract uh, becomes available. I thought it was interesting because Anaheim is one of the teams rumored to be in the mix for him as well, and, it, and apparently it's a non-starter for Zegers or Drysdale, I, and I thought that was interesting. Um, the, one more thing real quick before we get to the forwards, Bill. Uh, one of the reports this week was that Seth Jones is not willing to sign an extension. He really wants to get to free agency. And to me, this is also one of those scenarios where, yeah, everybody does. They all say they want to get to it until the guarantee offer gets in front of them. Uh, we saw the same thing when the Flyers traded for the rights of Kevin Hayes. Now, that was different because it was, you know, just a month away before he was going to be a free agent. And Seth Jones, it's a year away till his free agency. But when uh, a player is heading to free agency with the season to play, there is a little bit of risk involved, especially after a couple of by his standards, down seasons. So when you hear that, that, you know, he's saying that he wants to walk it all the way to free agency, is that kind of the desire, but it's still an option to be able to extend him? That's a possibility, you know. Um, and again, things, things change, right? Um, yeah, when guaranteed money's put under your nose, it changes everything. Absolutely, you know. Uh, you're, and you're one ACL tear away from me going to, you know, I've been going to prove a contract a year from now, too. Yep. Good point. So, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes the bird in hand is, just, you know, worth more you know, unless he has one. And then, you know, the Colorado keeps coming up. But I don't you know, I don't know that Colorado wants to or is able to considering what they have to resign this offseason. You know, if they're able to work their salary cap to where they could bring him in. I mean, he's not going to take a discount. I don't think. No. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you hear that, and it does it does make you think in other directions. To me, it doesn't necessarily close the door. Yeah. You know? Um, I, I think that you still explore that option and, and feel it out, and, you know, maybe uh, you know, maybe it reduces the price. Uh, I mean, it, it'll absolutely reduce the price if he's not willing to negotiate. Um, and maybe, you know, and it could end up in a situation where, you know, it creates a lot of awkwardness, but it also – you know, also they only get once to trade them. I'm talking about Columbus. So, you know, they might end up in a situation where he ends up, you know, playing for Columbus for half a season or, you know, and it does hang over a team and it's not a great situation. But ultimately they might increase what they bring bring back in return. If he gets off gets off in a big first half or whatever, move him at the deadline as a rental and then he becomes, you know, a UFA. So that's you know, that that's um that's a possibility too, where I don't think that Columbus is a hundred percent locked in. They have, they have to trade them in the off season, but they are locked in where they have to trade them. Over the yeah, no question. All right, let's get to the forward group. Uh, we'll look back at the year that was do some grades and then uh, look ahead for uh, some of these forwards. And let's start right on the top line in the middle uh, with Sean Couturier. He did receive a, some consideration in the Selkie voting, albeit no first or second place votes. And it's coming into a season where he was the reigning Selkie champion. In 45 games, Sean Couturier had 18 goals, 23 assists, 41 points, uh, played 19 minutes and 19 seconds of ice time, had the uh, injury early in the season, Bill. I think that certainly affected him. He came back for one game against the Washington Capitals, had a good game, that 7-4 win, and then all of a sudden the team went on COVID protocol and basically didn't play for three weeks. So how do you look at Couturier's season? How do you grade him out? Well, I think that, 
there were times this season, even after the early injury, where you know, it looked he looked to be laboring physically. I mean, he even after the season, he, he didn't totally deny that. Um, you know, he did not have his best all-around season, but he did have a pretty darn consistent offensive season. Yeah. You know, he didn't really have he really didn't have long slumps for much of the season. He flirted with a point per game or was at a point per game. You know, he, uh, you know, uh, I I thought that, uh, you know, I didn't think he deserved to be in the Selkie consideration this year. I think he'll be back up there again, you know, if he has a healthy season. But it's, uh, you know, I, I don't think when you measure by his standards, because this standard is an all-around game and an all-around impact, you know, he, he wasn't where he was other years. Um, you know, I, I can't grade him too harshly because, again, he, he – uh, again, I thought he had a pretty consistent offensive year. I thought that he was gritted out. Uh, it seemed to be a significant amount of discomfort. Um, you know, I, I would go in the B minus range for him. That I that uh, and and I'm and I'm comfortable that uh, he should bounce back and be fine. Really, the the question with Couturier, and this is this is an important part too of, you know, where is the team at this off season going into next season? Because he's a, he's a year for being unrestricted. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, you know, he was here all that time when they were rebuilding the farm system for, for four plus years. And you can't blame a player for going, Hey, you know, I went through that. I don't want to go through any more rebuilding. Yeah. It's time to win. It's time to win. And if the team shows signs that they're close, I think he'd absolutely want to stay here. If they're not, if, if they seem to be treading water or you know, moving laterally or, or worst case scenario, moving backwards a little to take a step back take two ahead then he's a guy you're looking at trading by the deadline too because i don't again i don't think he wants to go through all that again so uh, this is a this is a crucial year for him it's a crucial year for his future here too so you know I, i'm really i'm really curious of that front to see what goes on and i know there's a contingent of fans and it's a minority of fans who say well trade him now when he's at peak value and i always reply to that by saying you know i know i know there's a fear of sometimes when a player gets in his late 20s well, well, how Patrice Bergeron's 30s worked out in Boston? Are you glad that they didn't trade him if you're a Boston fan when, yeah. when he had a little dip when he was 29 years old because he fell off in production that year and was actually, you know, really on all on all of his indicators, they dropped, you know. Uh, I mean, Bergeron has been as good in his 30s as he was in his early to mid-20s. I, I hate, you know, he's very, Couture is a very, very hard player to replace. So if you don't have to replace him, I'm in favor of not having to replace him and staying in house. I mean, he's just the guy who, you know, who brings it on a, on a whole lot of different levels. So he's still a very, very important player for hockey. Yeah, I, I actually did on one of the episodes. I did a deep dive on that and looked at Bergeron at the same age, and this, the, the numbers of the two players are very similar, <laughs> eerily similar between Bergeron and Couturier. And that that was exactly my point. Do you want to trade Patrice Bergeron six years ago and miss the last six years that you've gotten from Patrice Bergeron? Because essentially that's what Couturier is and has been. Now, Bergeron's got a team-friendly contract there. Um, they, they got lucky on that deal, frankly, Boston. Uh, but Couturier, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me in his end-of-season availability bills is exactly what you just alluded to. Um, it, it wasn't that he was non-committal. It was we got to start doing some things. we got to move the ball forward here because i got one shot as an NHL player in a career, and I'm going to make the money. That, that's going to that's gonna come from wherever, right? I, I, I want to win because these guys are – and he's a competitor. He wants to win. 
And I don't blame him one bit for that. No, I, I, don't, I think you can blame the player one iota. Yep. You know? He wants and, to be here. I mean, but yeah. the, the organization's got to be in the right spot to, to make this a place where he can win. And he, he's been a loyal soldier. And, and I'm not asking him to give a hometown discount or anything like that. Um, you get one chance at life, life-changing life money, too, and he's going to have his opportunity. What a motivator going into the year. Honestly, his contract, his current contract, has been one of the NHL's biggest discounts. He's been a yeah. two-time Selkie finalist, one-time winner, scored 30 goals a couple times, all on this contract. So, you know, um, and, and another thing, too, it's it's a, you know, it's a minor point, but a point that, uh, you know, his his agent, Joe Lupian, just passed away. Um and uh, Lupian had a, had a reputation among NHL general managers as one of the more reasonable agents out there because his number one priority is, is my client happy in the city? Does he want to play there? And then they, then they worked out the numbers, even if it was a little less. So he was always kind of sensitive to what a team's cap situation was. Well, now, you know, Katori already did that. Already did that. So I, I think that uh, he's going to want to get paid in this next deal. And uh, you know, whoever's going to be representing him now um, – you know, is going to be looking to do that in, in the right situation, winning wise, and also and also cap figure wise. So I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't foresee any kind of a hometown discount. They're they're going to pay him for his performance. Yeah, and, and it's earned. Uh, let's get to uh, another uh, player from the top line. Let's go right to the captain. We've talked about him a lot this offseason. He's always the point of discussion for obvious reasons. Also entering the finer, final year of his deal, number twenty-eight, Flyers captain Claude Giroux. This year, Bill, fifty-four games. 16 goals, 27 assists, 43 points, and he played over 18 minutes of ice time. Moved to the center spot on uh, more than a few occasions, uh, considering all the injuries and different variations of lines that uh, Elaine Vigneault was putting out on the ice this year. How do you assess the captain's season, and and, uh, how do you grade him out this year? You know, it's interesting, Um, and I don't have it in front of me right now, but I I tweeted it out where, you know, if you look at Claude Giroux's season at five-on-five, who we had more points than this year? I mean, Backstrom and, and Ovechkin and Jamie Benn and just, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, and, and a, a lot of players, on, you know, a lot of top, top guys in the league. Giroux at five on five actually outpointed this year. Um, he did not have, you know, he did not have a Claude Giroux kind of year on the power play. He had one power play goal. His power play points were down. How much of that was a team issue? You know, him, I don't know. But I think, I think if you break out his season this year, um, and of course, he had a you know he had a bout with COVID himself in midseason. Um, I, I thought that when you know I thought that, that there were a bunch of times this season when the Flyers really needed a goal. Several of the games against the Penguins stand out in particular. You know, Giroux stepped up in those situations where some of his critics say, "Oh, he never steps up in those big games, in those big situations." He did just that. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I, I thought Giroux actually did not have a bad year. He didn't have a great year. He's I don't think he's ever going to have another year like 2017, 18, where he's over a hundred points again. I think that those days are gone. I don't think he's going to be a point per game player anymore. Um, hopefully the Flyers don't need him to be that, you know, moving forward, but, you know, getting to where he, he's getting age wise, you know, I would think that his next contract might actually uh, be a, not a massive pay cut, but a, but a little bit of a pay cut if he wants to finish his career in Philadelphia. Five and think, a half sound good to you on two or three years? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think along those lines. And then, you know, usually when a player would get to where he'd be at that point, then, then you truly go year to year. Yep. So, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, and I'm not, you know, obviously uh, I'm not in his head or whatever, but I think that 
that sounds about right. That would be, you know, five and a half. He's still still getting paid as a as a highly productive player, not getting paid like a superstar at that point. But um, it enables the team to do some other things. It enables him to, you know, continue to. Well, he'll probably he'll probably be second in points and you know in franchise history. It'd be hard to catch Bob Clark. But I think that that would be you know, that would be the way it would go. Um, you know, I don't see the team approaching him to to waive his no movement clause and, and put him up in the expansion draft. I don't see him getting dealt at the deadline unless he wants to. Yep. You know, if, he's, if he says, I want to go somewhere for a chance to win, I think the Flyers would do that for him. Otherwise, I, I see it being just like that, a uh, you know, two, three-year contract, about the $5.5 million range, and, you know, and he would play, I you know, presumably, I would hope, more wing than center because it does take a lot out of him, uh, some of the matchups he, you know, he sees in the middle, and he's better. He's better at the wing than at center at this point in his career. And the, the tweet you're alluding to, you sent it on May 13th. I did a little digging. Uh, you said Claude Giroux didn't have a great power play season. One power play goal, eight power play assists, but posted 32 even strength points, more than Nick Backstrom with 31, William Nylander with 31, Patrice Bergeron also at 31, Joe Pavelski 30, Blake Wheeler at 29. Krejci at 28, Kopitar at 27, Jamie Benn at 26, TJ Oshie at 26, and Alexander Ovechkin at 25. It's, yeah, that's, that's, it's almost stunning, right? Uh, I mean, some of those guys obviously had much better years in the power play, so their total points were really bad. No, but, you know, but a lot of times you measure a player's efficacy is, is he, is he still effective at five on five? And Drew absolutely is that. So, you know, he, he can still play in this league. Uh, my, you know, the whole thing with Drew has always been: is there, you know, is there enough around him? You know, that's that's always been, you know, when people say, well, the Flyers didn't get out of the first round of the playoffs, you know, since uh, since 2012. I said, well, they wouldn't have been in the playoffs at all for most of those years. They wouldn't have even been a they wouldn't have even been a bubble team if not for the core the core group, particularly Giroux, who take a lot of the heat for for what happened when actually it was a an organizational decision. To focus on rebuilding the farm system assets, which, ha- which listen, that had to happen. Yeah, you know whether they did it by a total rebuild or they did it by by more of a soft rebuild, keeping enough pieces to at least be, you know, in, in position for the playoffs. But the truth of the matter is, they never added pieces until until James Van Riemsdyk, with a uh, with an eye in mind of potentially making a deeper run in the playoffs. And I don't know how you blame I don't know how you blame the captain for that. So. Yeah, yeah, it's well said. And, uh, you know, you, you look at it, too, and, I mean, he's been – the numbers are always eye-popping when it comes to Giroux, and uh, we'd all love to see him get that opportunity with, you know, having all those pieces, you know, good decor, good goaltending, and, and a lot of depth offensively, and uh, him have a chance to, to make a run at it once again. Uh, early in his career, he got that opportunity. They came up short against Chicago. We'll see if he gets the chance again here. Uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers, hopefully sooner rather than later. Let's move to another guy that's been kind of bounced around on that top line. He's been on the second line, his fair share as well, even a little third line this year. And that is, and this is going to be an interesting one, it's Jake Voracek. He ended up leading the team in scoring uh, this past season, Bill. Uh, He's a guy that uh, is obviously very polarizing uh, with the Flyers. He had 55 games, 9 goals, 34 assists. And uh, played over eight or six, just about 17 minutes of ice time, um, but he's a guy that you know a lot of people always just want to kind of cast aside, and you know as a symbol of 
what's going on the past eight or nine years of every other year making the playoffs and really no deep, deep runs. Uh, but Jake Voracek is a, is a gifted offensive player. He's put up a lot of points in this league. How do you grade out his season? Yeah, Jake is, Jake is hard, you know. he. Um, it's funny because uh, when the team was kind of just falling off the map, you know, he produced pretty consistently, actually. You know, Jake... You know, one thing I one thing I go to all the time with, with Jake is that, you know, if you're if you're looking for thirty goals out of out of Jake Voracek, you're looking at the wrong player. He's he's a yeah. playmaking winger. He's not a he's not a big goal scorer. You know, he he can get. I mean, he had a run of seasons with exactly twenty goals, and he's had I think like twenty two a couple times. But he's never going to be a big goal scorer for you. You know, um, I, I think with Jake, a lot of it comes to you know he's a guy who speaks his mind he's very candid and doesn't really you know doesn't give an f he doesn't he doesn't i mean jake will jake will say whatever's on his mind at the moment and sometimes he'll sometimes he'll speak first and think later but that's jake you know and um you know the the biggest issue with Vorchek to me is that um it's just the just how much term is left in his contract and the, and the cap hit you know that's uh which makes him hard to deal, but it doesn't make him not valuable. It just makes, you know, it's just the reality of when the deal was signed, you know, and it was Ron Hexall who signed him to that contract too. But Jake was coming off a year where he was contending for the, uh, you know, for the Art Ross trophy until the last couple of weeks of the season. I think he finished third in the league in scoring that year. That was just, the, that was the perfect time to have your contract come up. Yeah. He careered it at the right time. Exactly. And that's, that's so much of, uh, you know, that's so much of, that's so much of what goes on negotiations, right? It's the timing of it. Um, you know, I, I thought that actually in 2019-20, I thought he had one of his two or three best two-way seasons, all-around seasons. I don't think he was as good all-around this past year. I thought he took a little step backwards defensively this past year. Um, you know, with, you know, Jake is a guy who will try to make plays and guys who handle the puck a lot will turn – turn some pucks over there'll be times when you know but then there'll be other times where jake will he it seems like he'll get him going to them over he just will not be denied you know and um and he can it seems like he you know he can plow his way to the net make a play in a clutch time i mean he's still he's not an easy player to replace on the other hand you know that's a lot of that's a lot of cap money there's still several years of term left so uh, you know, I would not be opposed to seeing him moved if they could if they could work that out. But uh, can you do that without taking a, a worse contract in return? You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna you know you're not gonna get someone who has the every game two way consistency plus the scoring goals. I mean, you know, you're you're gonna get somebody who who brings you some good things who you know who may have uh, some other areas in his game where. You know, at times maybe leaves you wanting a little bit more. But I think, you know, I don't think Jake Robertson, Jake Roberts, Jake Voracek on the whole has uh, anything to apologize for. I think he's been a good player for the team. Uh, if he's moved this offseason, then it, it is what it is. It's a business. Um, you know, I think I think long term, you know, as uh, as the team transitions that, uh, you know, we'll see we'll see where it goes but if he had a if he has a year in 2021-22 that was like his 1920 season where 
you know, maybe the points aren't spectacular, but he goes back to playing, I think, a, a little more complete game than he played this year on both sides of the puck, then I'd be fine with it. You know, it's, and, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he, they just test the waters and put him out there for the expansion draft just to see if Seattle bites, because if they do that, then all of a sudden you're, you're sitting in all kinds of top space. You can do a lot of things. But you saw, you saw to replace his assist. You know, you're going to have to replace, you know, in a really good year, 50 assists or 40 in a, you know, in an ordinary year for him. So, you know, I mean, you have there's a replacement cost too, uh, you know, that goes that goes into the mix. So I don't think he had a great year. He didn't have a terrible year. Um, you know, really, really to me, the, you know, we've been dealing with veterans at this point. I think for the most part, most of the veterans didn't have that bad of years. Maybe not spectacular years, but not awful years, even though they're guys who take heat. So, you know, I, I would go in the uh, – I would go when you weigh that he's primarily an offensive player also in that B-minus kind of a range for him this year. Yeah, it's about where I am as well. And, you know, they were really leaned on in a, in a couple of instances as well where A.V. would just shorten the bench and say, you're going out every – you know, jumping over the boards every other shift. And uh, those guys seem to relish that role a little bit, and the, the three guys that we just uh, kind of talked about. Uh, let's stick with the veterans, and let's go with uh, a guy who I thought had a really good season and probably going to get my highest grade from an offensive standpoint, and that's James Van Riemsdyk because, um, you know, he got off to such a great start, best best career start of his career, um, and he was just net front, deflecting goals, uh, playing a good two-way game, had a physical presence on the ice, was – uh, playing well in his own D zone, which is things that James Van Riemsdyk is not noted for. But he's a prime candidate as well, Bill, for expansion draft uh, to be plucked by uh, Seattle. Uh, how do you grade out JVR season? Because to me, it was uh, the best one I've ever seen him play in a flyer uniform. Uh, yeah, and I, and I agree with that. You know, he started off like gangbusters goal scoring wise. Um, he went through a stretch in the, uh, was what was after. You know, it was after like Tahoe. It was um, March and April where the goals dried up for him. But I was still happy with his game. Yeah. You know, he had a he had a really good year um, in terms of the details. He was back checking. He was winning battles on the boards. You know, he's not known as a feisty guy, but I thought that he tried to even supply a you know a bit of a physical presence. He he competed hard. You know, I I thought that um, I, I mean to me he's always been an underrated passer. I mean, he never you always think more of as a guy who scores around that than a passer i've always thought he's a pretty clever guy in terms of passing well he had some really really pretty assists this year oh the one to joel farabee <laughs> along the right wall and the pass to the middle to farabee was so beautiful it was gorgeous yeah, and then yeah that was that was the one specifically you could think of one play this year yeah so, you know um it would have been nice if he would have had the goal scoring carry straight through without that without that pretty low like a 20 something game drought even though he was still picking up some assists so i can't go a on him but i, I go solid b for his, his his you know in terms of the expectations that came remember this was a guy who was a healthy scratch several times in the playoffs last year and wondering did he did he even still fit in the lineup i mean that this wasn't a guy you would even think of taking out this past year it's just now again it's a question of okay he has what two years uh left I'm term in his contract, pretty high cap hit. Um, you know, so, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, you might expose the expansion draft. You might look to move. He might be a guy who'd be attractive to Seattle as a guy who's, um, you know, whose cap hit is higher than his real dollar salary. Yeah. Helps the team get towards the floor. So I mean, you're actually paying him less than counting cap wise. So that, that, 
attractive potentially to an expansion team. So, you know, as as with uh, as with Jake Borchak, uh, you know, if I'm saying expose him to the expansion draft, it's not a it's not a knock on the player. It's just more a reflection of the the cap dollars and situation the Flyers are in right now. So, you know, if if you lose him to the expansion draft, um, you know, it just it's just unfortunate, but it's part of the game. But I, I think that he, you know, I thought he was really good this year. I have no complaints about the way he played. Yeah, I really like the way he bounced back after, as you said, he was healthy scratched last year. Some players can take that tuck tail and run at that point in their career where they can take it to heart in the offseason and really prepare and use it as motivation. He did the latter and, and uh, was a great player for the Flyers this past season and a really good offensive year. Uh, let, let's get one more in on this, uh, this episode. Let's talk about another guy that uh, there's a lot of question marks around. Boy, his name is being tossed around like uh, – uh, like I, I'm stunned at how much people are just saying, "Hey, connect me, put connect me in the deal, put connect me in the deal." And he's a guy that was healthy scratched on a number of occasions this year. Bill, uh, really, we didn't see the same Travis Connecty come back to the bubble last year, and he never got his legs under him completely this past season as well. But you're still talking about a young player that's got uh, is under contract at a pretty reasonable number. He is a guy that scored 24 goals in back-to-back seasons, and the second one of those. Did it on a shortened season, so he was about on a 29-30 goal pace and still a young player in this league and a guy that can really stir the pot as well. How do you assess connecting season? Yeah, and uh, as you said, he's going to be in a, a whole lot of uh, trade rumors. Obviously, you know, he's a guy you protect in the expansion draft. That's not a, that's not a question. Um, you know, Could he get dealt this offseason? Yeah, he may because it takes quality to get quality. Um, I'm not happy. Travis's season. I don't think Travis Connecting is happy with you know with his own season. Um, I mean, he did not score a goal in the playoffs last year. Um, had a, I think seven assists, something like that, in, in playoffs last year. He's a guy you're looking to first and foremost for, for points. And okay, he didn't come back great in the bubble. He didn't have a very good season this year. He had an early hat trick, um, pretty Thanks, early so. in January. And then he had a pretty long goal-scoring drought. And a lot of games, not just where the goals weren't there, where, you know, when to me, when Konechny is shooting the puck from above and outside the dot, and that's the only time you really notice him during the course of a game, you know, he, he's not very effective in those situations. He's not a pure sniper who's going to shoot from above the dot and, and top shelf one and, you know, score several goals that way. He's the guy who's going to, you know, who's going to be a, a pain in the neck to play against. He's going to be in the goalie's face. He's going to be digging it, you know, getting that extra whack at the puck. A lot of times, you know, right before a whistle, will knock one in the net. He can, you know, when they went with a double net front uh, on the power play, that's where he scored a couple of the power play goals. He, he can do that for you. Um, you know, I, I thought this year, um, you know, and I know some people said, well, he turned, you know, his turnovers were down this year. They were down, but it was also because he wasn't, as involved as he was previously. If Konechny is not getting under people's skin, if you don't see guys, you know, wanting Adam after the whistle, Konechny is usually not at the top of his game at those times, you know? You, you can live with the occasional goalie interference penalty because of he just crashes the net, and that's, that's when he tends to be effective. Um, you know, Travis is never going to be a uh, – he's never going to be a Selkie Trophy candidate. He's worked hard. To not be a liability to at least be adequate. I think he's, he's at that level, but he did not make the impact that he had to make. And part of, I mean, part of that is, you know, we talked about Claude Giroux's um, five-on-five production. You know, you, you can look at the other side of it with Connecty. He's only had seven even strength goals this year. They need more than that. 
Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. Has to be better. Yeah, he's he's going to have to take a step forward if he, if he's not put into a package. And you're right about that. You have to give up something to get something, and he's an attractive piece for teams because of the because he's under under contract under a, a number that doesn't isn't too high for teams. He he can fit on a lot of cap situations and. And the thing is with him, too, I really felt like the detail of his game wasn't there this year. You know, when the opportunity to get a puck deep, he wasn't getting pucks deep. Uh, on regroups in the neutral zone to, to really get back in after a turnover, uh, you know, and get back in on the forecheck, you know, just those little things, they add up to be big things. And then just the details in the D zone as well. And like you said, he's never going to be a Selkie candidate, but he's got to be better than he was. Uh, I was disappointed in his year as well coming coming off the bubble where – you know, he just couldn't He couldn't buy a goal. He had some good opportunities. I remember one was a block shot off the heel of an Islander skate, and the guy just shot his leg back and, you know, took away a goal that would have been an empty net goal. Uh, but he didn't respond this year well. He's going to have to respond well going forward. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this episode, Bill. We've still got more forwards to go. We'll have the second part of it coming up on Friday's episode. But that's a wrap on the first half. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you on the next Flyers Daily. Come as you are, as you Yeah.